Ready to break free from algorithms, vanity PR, and money-sucking ads? My name's Larissa Worstiak, and I've learned in seven years of jewelry marketing that content is the crown jewel. My agency, Joy Joya, takes a holistic approach, leading with laser-focused storytelling, impactful content creation, and strategic content distribution. This method has worked for the solopreneur as well as the multi-million dollar company. And now I'm sharing the same systems and tactics with you. Here's to standing out in the sea of sparkle. Welcome to episode 246. Today, we're going to be building upon our email marketing mini series and diving into some advanced tactics that will skyrocket your email campaigns and take your jewelry business to new heights. Now, even if you're new to the world of email marketing and you feel like you're still finding your footing, don't worry, this episode is for you too. We're going to explore the possibilities of what email marketing can do for your jewelry brand. Trust me, this is going to be an eye-opening one. By the end of the episode, you'll be equipped with powerful tools like automation, segmentation, and A-B testing. And we'll discuss how these tactics can supercharge your email campaigns, bringing in more leads, boosting engagement, and ultimately driving sales. But that is not all. We'll also be tackling an important aspect, actually a very necessary aspect of email marketing, measuring your success. We'll be exploring the key metrics you should be tracking to gauge the effectiveness of email campaigns. It's time to separate the email marketing winners from the not so winners. I'll be covering my personal favorite advanced email marketing tactics that will make your campaigns shine, as well as the benefits of using them, what can you expect when you implement these tactics, and essential metrics to track for measuring your email marketing success. If you're new to this podcast, first of all, welcome. And you should know from now through July of this year, I'm offering a free six-month podcast-guided program, and it's called Jewelry Marketing Jumpstart. And it involves weekly audio and video lessons, just like this episode, but you also get a companion PDF worksheet download for each new episode. If you haven't already signed up for free at joyjoya.com jump, I highly recommend you do that. And you can find that link in the show notes as well. But before we get to the solid gold today, I'd like to take a moment to remind you that this podcast has both audio and video, so you can either listen on your favorite podcast platform or watch on YouTube by searching Joy Joya. You can support the podcast for free by taking the time not only to subscribe, but also to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave a review, I might even read it on a future episode. So just let me know what takeaways have you had recently and how has this podcast helped you with your jewelry business? Speaking of podcasts, did you know I also co-host another podcast with jewelry marketer Liz Kantner? It's called Success with Jewelry. We already have like 40 episodes up everywhere you listen to podcasts as well as on YouTube. And we also have an insider community where we share extended episodes, hands-on guidance, and a plethora of resources. Visit successwithjewelry.com 
Dot com to learn more. Okay, my sparklers, let's get into this next installment of Jewelry Marketing Jumpstart, which is all about more advanced email marketing tactics and the metrics you can use to measure your success. Again, if you're more of a beginner to email marketing, I still recommend checking out this episode because it will help you understand where you can really go as you move forward with your email marketing journey for your jewelry brand. So first, let us tackle my personal favorite advanced email marketing tactics that I think will make your campaigns shine. So I'm going to be talking about automation, segmentation, and A-B testing, which I really think are game changers in the world of email marketing. And by mastering them, it will really give your campaigns the competitive edge that they need. So let's explore each one in detail, starting with automation, which is sometimes known as flows. And I know Clavio uses that language of flows. So what does automation mean? Basically, an automated email or flow triggers or sends based on specific actions or events. So like when a new subscriber joins your email list or a customer makes a purchase, then an email automatically gets sent to that person. By using automated emails or flows, you can also nurture your customers throughout the customer journey. So from when they first learn about you through when they make their first purchase and beyond, it really helps guide them through the experience that you want them to have with your brand. And again, that's through emails that are sent automatically at specific times and that are relevant to them and their needs. And you can really streamline your marketing efforts by automated automating tasks that are pretty repetitive for your business. Again, I mentioned welcome emails, so you know, you don't want to be manually sending an email every time someone joins your email list. As you become bigger and more successful, that is just not going to be a scalable thing to do with your email. Then you have abandoned cart reminders, post-purchase follow-ups. There are so many actions that happen in your business that can really be accommodated with an automated email. It helps create a seamless and personalized experience for your subscribers, for your customers, and it increases engagement and also what we all love, the likelihood that they will convert and be a customer for life. The next advanced email marketing tactic that I wanna talk about is segmentation. So this really gives you the opportunity to craft personalized content that speaks directly to each segment's interests, needs, and preferences. So what does the segment mean? Well, when you have a list of subscribers in your email, you can likely put those people into different buckets. And that can be based on a lot of different things like where they live. So like East Coast, West Coast, what state they're in, like what month their birthday is in, um, 
what their purchase history is, whether or not they've bought from you before, how often they engage with your email. And that's really an individualized thing that you need to decide as a brand, how you wanna break up that list. But the benefits of doing so and having different segments is so that you can increase engagement and again, be much more personalized, speaking directly to the needs of that segment and to where they are in their journey with your brand. It delivers super tailored messages so that you can resonate with the different people in these buckets. And ultimately, you'll boost customer loyalty, you'll boost satisfaction, because those people will get relevant offers and recommendations at the right time, so that when they're ready to buy, they'll be seeing the message that motivates them to do so. And then the third advanced email marketing tactic that I'm gonna cover today is A-B testing. Basically, in a nutshell, what that means is you have a version A of something, you have a version B of something, and then you test the two with your email to see which performs better. And with email marketing, that A and that B can be a lot of different things. Subject lines, copy, calls to action, the visuals, So that way you can identify what is most effective and what actually gets people to click, to go to your website and to make a purchase. When you're doing A-B testing, you really wanna not change everything in your email and then test all the changes. You wanna just isolate it to one specific thing. If you remember back in high school, if you were in science class and you did experiments, you'll remember that there's like one variable because when you isolate it to the one thing that you wanna test, whether it's like the color of the button or the call to action, then you will know which performs better. And you could perform multiple different kinds of A-B tests over time, but again, it's so important to isolate to one thing that you want to understand how to improve in your email marketing. So to do the actual A-B testing, once you have a version A of something and a version B of something, then you split your audience into two segments and send each segment the different version of your email. From there, you can measure and compare the performance of the variation by tracking the metric that makes the most sense for the thing that you tested. And based on those insights, you'll really be able to optimize your email campaigns moving forward so that you're continuously improving, you're working toward higher engagement, but you're not just like guessing about these things, which is so super important. And now that I've shared those three, I actually want to share a bonus tactic. So in the past two episodes where I've talked about email marketing, I mentioned a few times that it's so important to maintain the health of your email list. So every six months or so, you really wanna be creating a segment of subscribers who haven't opened or clicked any of your emails that you've sent during that period of time, and then send them what's called a re-engagement campaign. So that's basically an email that's like, hey, you haven't interacted with us in a while. 
do you still want to be subscribed to this list? And then they have a chance to confirm and or update their information. And if they don't take any action after a few days or a week, then you really need to be archiving those people because if they're going to continue to be disengaged, that could potentially hurt the health of your sender reputation. If more and more people on your list are just not engaging with your emails, then your emails may end up getting marked as spam. And you don't want those people on your list anyway because they obviously don't care. So you kind of have to get over the vanity of archiving people on your list, which can be kind of painful sometimes, can hurt your ego, But ultimately, in the long run, that is the best strategy. So what can you really expect for your email marketing when you start implementing these tactics? Well, for automation, when you start implementing automated emails or flows, you'll definitely start to see a significant increase in customer engagement and in the best case scenario, better conversions because you're delivering timely, more personalized messages to subscribers, kind of meeting them where they are at their customer journey. And that way you're nurturing them more effectively guiding them toward making a purchase. And in addition, having those automations for those repetitive tasks, like the welcome emails, the abandoned cart emails, it saves you so much time while ensuring that you're communicating consistently. So that just all around leads to better customer satisfaction. So what can you expect with segmentation? So again, when you're segmenting your list based on different factors, whether it's demographics, purchase history, engagement levels, this just like automation, helps you deliver targeted and personalized content, you'll likely see better open rates, better click-through rates, and ultimately better conversions because those customers will really be getting the personalized offers and recommendations that resonate just with them. And then finally, with A-B testing, you can expect super valuable insights that will help you optimize your campaigns so that you're not guessing about how to make things better. When you're testing things like subject lines, copy, colors, visuals, then you'll be able to identify the most effective elements and it helps you work on continuous improvement, higher engagement rates, increased conversions. So now that you're more familiar with some of these more advanced tactics, we really need to talk about the most essential essential metrics to track so that you can measure email marketing success. And I'll walk you through four of them. So the first one is open rate. And as you can probably guess from what it's called, this measures the percentage of recipients who open your email. And it indicates the effectiveness of your subject lines, your sender name, your sender reputation, and the overall appeal of your brand. When you see a higher open rate, it really signifies that your emails, especially the subject lines, because that's the first thing they see in their inbox, are grabbing attention and enticing your subscribers to continue engaging with you. But I do want to share a very important caveat about open rates. So in September 2021, Apple released iOS 15. 
And one of the new features of iOS 15 was called, or is called, male privacy protection. And it does two things. It automatically loads all images from emails and it hides IP addresses and the location of email recipients. So, okay, great. What does that mean for you and for OpenRate? To put that in a nutshell, it means that since September 2021, open rates are very inaccurate because you can't truly measure who is actually opening your emails or not. Because again, Apple is almost like artificially creating an open by having those images loaded and then obscuring the information from your subscribers. So even though open rate is inaccurate, and since 2021, you've probably seen inflated numbers for your open rate in your email marketing platform, I still think it's important because you can see general patterns and notice if your open rates are going up or down. And that's an important thing to pay attention to. You do just have to keep this caveat in mind. The next metric I wanna talk about is click-through rate or CTR. So CTR measures the percentage of recipients who click on links or buttons within your email. So this is really indicating the level of engagement and interest generated by your email content. It's one thing to get someone to open your email and it's a whole other thing to get someone to actually take action and like interrupt what they're doing and open a new tab or a new window to go to your website or wherever you send, you send them. So a higher click-through rate, I would say an average one for the industry would be like between two and 3%. If you can exceed that, then it means you're doing a really good job to successfully motivate your subscribers to take action and explore what you have to offer. The next one is conversion rate. So conversion rate tracks the percentage of recipients who complete a desired action, whether that's making a purchase, filling out a form, scheduling an appointment, visiting your store. There's a lot of things that could be considered conversion. And that as it relates to email marketing is it means that's happening after someone clicks through your email. So that is directly reflecting the effectiveness of your email campaign in driving actual results and revenue or some kind of lead generation. And then finally, let's talk about unsubscribe rate. So that indicates the percentage of recipients who unsubscribe from your email list after they receive your emails. And I would say a few unsubscribes here or there, it's going to happen to everyone. It's like very impossible to have a 0% unsubscribe rate. So you shouldn't be afraid of it because there are so many reasons why people unsubscribe from emails and a lot of them have nothing to do with you. But if you have a really high unsubscribe rate or you've noticed that your unsubscribe rate has been increasing, that may indicate issues with your email content, the frequency, or the rele relevancy. So really keep this in check to ensure you retain an engaged subscriber base. And I'd recommend checking in with these metrics at least on a monthly basis. Okay, that's it for now on our email marketing series of Jewelry Marketing Jumpstart. Much more to come though in future episodes. So go to joyjoya.com jump 
to get additional information, action items, and further resources in the free worksheet. Before we get into the gold mine as well as my jewelry marketing news roundup, I want to share a case study of a jewelry brand that I think embodies what I talk about on this podcast. So these are my thoughts about how I'd apply my marketing approach and philosophies to a jewelry brand in the wild. Disclaimer, this brand's not my client, so I don't have inside information. I'm just sharing my observations. But I did also see them at JCK, and I saw how they launched what I'll be talking about. So I saw this article in Glossy, and it's called Anna Zuckerman Wants to Make Non-Precious Jewelry the future of celebrity styling. So Anna Zuckerman launched her demi-fine jewelry brand in 2020, but at that time, she was really questioning the future of the industry, which was moving toward acceptance of lab-grown diamonds. And just recently for JCK, the company launched a rebrand, and now they're focusing on what they're calling Diamond Crystalline. And this is a man-made gem that takes the highest grade cubic zirconia and coats it with tiny particles of lab-grown diamonds. With this rebrand, they're really aiming to position the jewelry as a suitable alternative for everyday wear, and they're encouraging women to indulge in self-purchases. So Zuckerman said, quote, we recognized our brand's potential in service and clients as a lifestyle brand and not one to be saved for special occasions. And so the brand has in the past successfully collaborated with celebrity celebrities and influencers, and they've been able to expand their reach beyond the red carpet. And a strong part of their growth strategy has been in partnering with organic, like-minded brand ambassadors. For PR agencies and stylists, though, working with non-precious jewels like Anna Zuckerman's offers the glamour of diamonds for the red carpet without the insurance and security concerns of working with super high-end pieces. So for Zuckerman and her team, growing consumer interest in lab-grown diamonds presented an opportunity. They said, quote, technology has become a driver of how we're able to play with glamour to offer the look without the barriers of entry that you have with borrowing diamonds. There's more opportunity for celebrities, influencers, and stylists to have more fun with glamour. It is truly worry-free wardrobing, end quote. I just thought this was a super interesting way to tell a story and position a brand, and in this case, a rebrand. So let's just have you for a moment put aside your personal thoughts and feelings about lab-grown diamonds and this new material, Diamond Crystalline, that Anna Zuckerman has branded. I just thought this was a super interesting way to tell a story and position a brand, in this case, position a rebrand. So for a moment, put aside your personal thoughts and feelings about lab-grown diamonds and this new material, Diamond Crystalline, that Anna Zuckerman has branded. Basically, from them working with stylists and PR agencies, they really saw a challenge and a need in the market, and they've decided to capitalize that and address it by creating and producing a product that has a tangible outcome that they can sell, that they can present as a solution. And that for them was what they're calling worry-free wear. So this is so much more than just selling pretty products. This is thinking through the target customer's needs and then pivoting accordingly. 
So what do you think? Let me know in a podcast review or YouTube comment. All right, let's get into the gold mine. So if you're new to this podcast, you should know the gold mine is a segment where I speak a little more personally about topics like entrepreneurship, mindset, success, etc. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you already know what's up. So <laughs> this week's gold mine is all about reminding yourself to be patient and remain hopeful. And I'm going to share a personal story that hopefully resonates with you. So ever since I moved into my current office where I'm sitting right now, if you're watching on YouTube, I had this dream to see birds outside my window. I don't know where this came from. I think like sometimes you just need something pretty or nice to look at when you're working all day. And I noticed that some of my neighbors had bird feeders in their yards that were really active. And it was so cool to see these little birds at the bird feeders. So I thought, hey, that would be so cool to have a bird feeder that would attract cute, pretty little birds. And I'd be able to hear their chirping and their songs while I worked. So I don't know very much about birds, but I did some research. I bought a bird feeder. I bought the seeds that were specific for this type of bird I wanted to see. I set it up according to the instructions. I did all my due diligence and I patiently, patiently waited. Now in the instructions, it did say that it might take a few days, a few weeks for the birds to feel comfortable and safe enough to come to the feeder. And so I had this expectation that I might have to wait a little bit. But as time went by, it was like more than a month that passed by without any activity, no birds, just squirrels trying to jump on my feeder. I really started to feel insecure and inadequate. They I had these thoughts like, eh, well, I don't know very much about birds. <laughs> Not surprised that like, I guess I did this wrong and the birds aren't going to come. And so I really questioned my decision and felt like, okay, I guess I wasted money on this bird feeder. And I also at the same time felt a little bit ashamed of how quickly I had kind of given up. Like I kind of put my dream of having these birds aside and just accepted it wasn't going to happen. And really, I mean, a month is not that long of a time to be patient and hopeful, but I guess I just didn't want to keep getting my hopes up and then be disappointed if it didn't happen. But then more than a month later, let's say it was like five or six weeks later, one day, I looked out my window and there was a single bird who landed on the feeder and I could not believe my eyes. I was totally overjoyed to see this one bird. And in that moment, it like really lifted me up. This one bird reminded me that <laughs> it was silly for me to lose hope so easily. And the craziest thing is, the next day I was sitting in my office and no joke, there were like dozens of birds around this feeder chirping, so much activity, so many different colors of these finches, 
And it was like truly a frenzy of wildlife because now all the animals, the squirrels, the doves, they were all around like wanting to see what was happening at this really active bird feeder. And I know this probably sounds like such a silly little moment in time, but I felt so moved by this happening. And ever since that happened and I saw these birds flocking to the feeder, the experience has really become a constant reminder for me. It's taught me the importance of patience, not just in regular life, but in business. I think we're so accustomed in this digital age to just expect immediate results and gratification from everything. But sometimes we just need to be patient and trust that we've done the best that we could with the knowledge that we have, with the resources that we have, and with our hearts and minds in the right place. And even when we can't see the outcome right away, or we're just staring at an empty bird feeder for six weeks, we still have to believe that there's a chance that it will come to fruition. And to add to that, I now just feel so much more grateful and appreciative for the birds who are coming every day. And so I always make sure I'm tending to the feeder. I'm making sure it has seeds in it. And I'm so happy to see them because I don't want them to leave. So my takeaway for you today is don't give up so quickly or don't get discouraged in an effort to kind of like save yourself from getting hurt if something doesn't happen. Stay patient, maintain hope, know that good things will come when the time is right. I think maybe this sounds cheesy, but I think dreams really do come true if you hold on to them and give them the time and space that they need to flourish. So what do you think about that? Does it resonate with you? Let me know in a YouTube comment or a podcast review, and I'd love to know your thoughts. Okay, let's get into the news roundup where I share three relevant articles related to jewelry or marketing. The first one comes from neilsnewsletter.com, and it's called Why You Buy SHIT, <laughs> just in case kids are listening, you don't need So marketer Neil Grady recently published a newsletter with tips about how to sell your customers things they don't need. And I thought, well, that feels appropriate because uh pretty much everyone listening to this podcast is selling someone that no one needs, right? Nobody needs jewelry. We want jewelry though. So he gave the analogy of painkillers versus vitamins. If you have a splitting headache and you're in the desert and someone has a painkiller, you'd be willing to pay an irrational amount for it. But on the other hand, you don't really need a vitamin. And when you take one, you may think you're doing something good for yourself, but there's a chance you won't even feel the benefits. You kind of just have to trust that they're there. And I would say jewelry is way more like the vitamin than the painkiller. So if you're selling vitamins, what are some tactics that actually work? And I'm going to give you five. So the first one is time pressure. There are plenty of products that people might need, but just not right now, or 
they don't need them, but they think they might. If you put pressure around when something is available, like maybe it's limited edition or there's a limited sale or discount, um, however you're putting that time pressure, it really helps move that along and get someone to make a decision. The next tactic is FOMO or fear of missing out. So with this tactic, you convince someone to take action because if they don't, then they'll miss out on something exciting or important. And I think with jewelry, with luxury, that's often very manufactured, but you have to think about how can I make someone feel like they're missing out if they don't buy my product that they totally don't need. Next would be social proof. So if someone that the customer loves and respects is also using, wearing the product and sharing their positive experience or talking really enthusiastically about it, that can help someone feel motivated to buy something they don't need. Then we have fear and The example that he shares in this article about the fear tactic is actually related to jewelry. So he talks about selling diamonds and the campaign that De Beers did that you need to spend two months salary on a diamond. And the implication here is that the larger the diamond you give someone, the more that you love them, right? And if you don't get them a big diamond, then you're going to lose that person or they'll doubt your love and commitment. Of course, I know that's very silly and not true, but that's kind of the implication, the message that De Beers is trying to share with this like rule that they created, thus instilling fear in the consumer. And then the last one I want to share is that you've been sold a dream. So Rolex is a really great example of this. They've positioned themselves as the watch that people wear when they've made it. So by selling someone a dream, you can get them to buy something that they don't need. So my main takeaway is I think pretty much every jewelry brand could adopt one or more of these tactics in some way, and it would be really interesting for you to explore which one applies to you the most. The next article comes from Social Media Today, and it's called Elon Musk Says Creators Will Be Able to Download Email Info of Subscribers Points to New Video Push. So Twitter is trying to address one of the biggest issues with social media for businesses, and that is that businesses don't have access to the first-party data of their followers. And by first-party data, I mean like email addresses, for example. So you know on Instagram, and I've told you this on the podcast before, you want to try to encourage people to get off Instagram and get on your email list. Because if Instagram were to disappear one day or be down, or you get locked out of your account, you don't have access to any of those followers' information. So with Twitter, soon content creators will have the ability to download a list of their subscriber information for off-platform communication like email. And this move towards what they're calling data portability aims to attract creators and brands to Twitter by helping them expand their connections and build business both on and off the platform. And Musk likes to support the idea of ensuring Twitter's algorithm does not limit content reach in 
the follow tab. So that aligns with whatever his belief of free speech. My main takeaway is this is very, very interesting to me. I am not sharing this because I'm recommending you take your jewelry brand to Twitter. I just think this is a really good way of thinking that I wish other social media platforms would adopt. And so that businesses could have the benefit of getting first party data from their followers because it feels like, hey, I earned this, but really at the end of the day, the platform kind of owns that information and you're kind of just at the mercy of those platforms, algorithms, those changes, what those platforms want to be doing with their business model. So right now, this doesn't really help businesses on Instagram, but I'd be curious to see if Instagram follows suit someday and releases a similar feature. That would be pretty amazing. And then the last article comes from payments.com and it's called, Can AR Reduce Returns for Jewelry Brands? So companies like Perfect Corp have introduced virtual hand sizing technology to help jewelry brands reduce their rates of return. And the technology like this really allows users to visualize and try on accessories, for their hands, like rings and bracelets, and then ultimately improves the shopping experience. It makes it more fun. It helps the customer have that interactive experience that they would have in store. And other retailers like Kendra Scott and Sally Hansen have also used Perfect Corp's tools for virtual try-on. And the utilization of this kind of technology, the virtual try-on, it really has shown significant positive effects on sales of uplift. So one brand mentioned in this article observed a 67% increase in conversion rates among users who engaged with this try-on feature. Another one noticed a 24% decrease in return rates for customers who used their sizing recommendation tool. And overall research just indicates that these AR augmented reality experiences have such a strong impact on consumer behavior and preferences. So my main takeaway is How are you being forward-thinking with your jewelry brand, especially if you sell primarily e-commerce? Are you considering how these new technologies can boost your customer experience? That is it for today. I'm signing off. Did you have any questions about Jewelry Marketing Jumpstart? You can always email me, Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. If you love this podcast, please share it with a friend who'd appreciate it. And don't forget to subscribe as well as leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're completely new to digital marketing, then you'll want to purchase and read a copy of my book, Jewelry Marketing Joy. Visit joyjoya.com book for more information. 